Hey everybody and welcome back to Texas Real Talk. Uh, your host here, Jason Franklin. I am flying solo today. Mr. James Toller is out taking care of some other business. I wanted to start off today and just get us some updated uh, notes. And again, these are spe specific to our local market, but indicative of what's going on around the country. So as everybody knows, in the real estate market this year, 2021 has been off the charts, uh, You know, pretty much in falling in line with what we did in 2020 as well. Uh, a couple of interesting notes here. You know, we biggest call that we always get from new clients is, you know, is the market slowing? Is it a buyer's market? Is it a seller's market? And, you know, the equilibrium there is six months of inventory. Uh, more than that being a seller's or buyer's market, less than that being a, you know, seller's market. And right now, just for the month of October, uh, in the Houston market, and again, you can take this and extrapolate it out, speak with your local real estate professional, but there's not very many markets in the United States that are not following this very same trend, is we are seeing constant increases, even though the market has slowed. I mean, we're not doing what we did in June of this year. However, total active listings uh, is down in uh, Houston right now, 11% month year over year uh, for the month of October where at the same time, our months of inventory is also down. We went from 2.3 months of inventory in October of last year uh, to 1.8 months. Um, interestingly though, uh, single family homes pendings are up 8.2%, uh, 9,400 versus 8,700. And the biggest number that most people are really paying attention to is average sales price. And this year versus last year, just for the month of October, we're up 13.1%. I mean, you're talking more than 1% per month, where in an average year, we would hope for a good year to be somewhere in the neighborhood of 4 to 5% and an average year being closer to 3%. So all of that just comes about to say that, yes, the market is slowing down, but that just means we're going 110 instead of 150. Uh, you know, so keep it up. Uh, in keeping up with the market, you know, you want to make sure that you are, whether you own a home, looking for a home, have investment properties, find your local professional that you like to deal with, uh, get on some type of monthly reporting basis. You know, this is no different than owning stocks or uh, bonds, futures, anything else that you've got. It needs to be monitored regularly and you need to be paying attention to that investment. For many people, if not most people, you know, your real estate investment, whether it's your personal family home or if it's a series of properties, is going to be the largest investments in your portfolio. So I wanted to break off and do something a little bit different today. Uh, you know, we talk about growth mindset. We talk about, you know, the amalgamation of who we are and where we came from and what has gotten us to where we are. You know, we talk constantly on here about, you know, how can we influence others? And, you know, one of the things that I think we, we don't talk about enough is who has influenced us. And, you know, one of the things that we really stand behind here more so than anything else is the quote that I believe it's actually older than this, but Credited to Isaac Newton says, if I have seen further, it is because I stand on the shoulders of giants. And you've heard us say that before if you've been listening, you know, but I wanted to break that down just a little bit. And for those of you who don't are not familiar with that statement, really what he's referring to is paying homage to those that have come before him. And, you know, if I've achieved achieved this greatness or these great accomplishments, it's not something that I've done all on my own, but really taking and listening to those that came before me, uh, taking the advice of strangers, taking the advice of my mentors, taking the advice or taking learning uh, from those different individuals who have impacted my life. So I wanted to share a few stories here that, that I thought were really interesting. I have, in my 47 years, 
had the great privilege of living several lifestyles and lifetimes, you know, from getting married at 20 years old, uh, you know, raising kids by the age of 22. Uh, you know, I'm 47 now, as I mentioned, but I've gone through about eight different careers until I finally landed in the career that I should have been in when I was 20, uh, which is obviously in real estate and uh, entrepreneurship. Uh, so I wanted to go back and share some I some stories from individuals that I know that have really helped me along the way that I find very intriguing. I hope you find them intriguing. Uh, the first person I wanted to talk about was a gentleman that I met in 2000, in, uh, yeah, 2000 when I was a district manager for a large boating company in the west coast of Florida. I had the privilege of working with that company for several years and moved all over Florida and up to Washington, D.C. and uh, ran you know their national headquarters store. But while I was in Florida and the reason I really remember this the most is that I was working with this gentleman on September 11th and the gentleman was a full bird colonel retired uh, from the military and you know he had a lot of insight into what was going on that day but what I wanted to share was so the gentleman's name was George Coburn he had this great booming voice and you could tell he had he had done something in life because I mean I've got a deep voice and this guy made me sound like a, a tenor or a soprano and uh, he was in the military for 25 plus years. And when I say in the military, he was in special forces, had invaded Grenada, um, and had just a myriad of amazing stories of things he had done and places he had gone. But what I respected the most about him was a story that he shared with me. And that was after 25 years in the military, uh, you know, the day that he left, he took his watch and threw it into the ocean took a pack of Marlboro Reds and stuck them in his pocket and said, I'm never going to look at another watch and I'll never smoke another cigarette. And he carried that pack of cigarettes in his pocket for, I think he said, a couple of years, just purely on the fact of showing himself that it's there and I can have it any time that I want it, but I'm not going to take it and I won't smoke it. And in those two years, he hand-built a steel boat, a sailboat, that he then circumnavigated the globe three times with his wife on this boat. And you know, one of the, when I look back and I reflect on the stories that I have from the different people that I've met in my life, you know, the main thing that I was able to take from the relationship that I had with him and you know, you have to keep in mind when when he's sharing these stories with me, I'm I'm right in the middle of raising kids. I'm like 20 25. I've got three kids. We're living in we just bought our first house. And the real thing that I learned from him was self-reliance. You know, it, you need a community, you need people to support you, you need people that are gonna take care of you, but at the end of the day, you have to be self-reliant. Um, you have to know that I can take care of myself just because I allow other people into my, my sphere and just because I do lean on other people, I also have to know and have the confidence in myself that I'm capable of doing this all on my own if I had to. Another gentleman that I had the pleasure of meeting uh, had an equally interesting story. His name was Bob Havens, and he was what we called a liveaboard. And uh, basically, a liveaboard, if you're not familiar with that, just means that you've got a boat that you live on it. It could be a 10-foot dinghy, or it could be a 40-foot sailboat that's worth a million dollars. He had a Bristol 40, which was a beautiful, beautiful sailboat. Tons of teak, you know, everything mahogany and teak and high-polished, and every all piece, every piece of chrome was polished. But he also had a very interesting story, and uh, he actually owned and operated the first ever 24-hour photo uh, in the uh, Upper East Coast years and years ago, back in the, I think, I want to say mid-70s. 
and uh, was making a lot of money, had a ton of money coming through his business. And one of the stories that he shared with me one day is that uh, he said, you know, Jason, I had this great idea. I had launched this new thing and that nobody else was doing. He said, and I was, all this money was coming through and I was absolutely losing my butt. He said, I wasn't making any money. And he said, there was this little restaurant next door, a little deli. He said, and finally one day I went over there. He said, because the guy next door was running this deli and he was driving this brand new Jaguar. And I wanted to know how he was pulling this off because the guy had the same three kids that I did and was going through the same things that I was going, but he was living abundantly. And by the way, when I tell you what this guy suggested, I'm not suggesting that you do this. So he went next door and met with this Jewish man that was running this deli. And the guy, he said, listen, he said, you know, I'm here. I'm here from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. You know, I've got a ton of money coming through, but I'm not making any money. And uh, the guy, he said, well, he said, you have to run your uh, business on, you know, the Jewish proverb of um, profitability. And he goes, okay, well, how do you do that? And he goes, well, at the end of every day, I pull the till out of the register I throw it up in the air and whatever sticks to the ceiling, I claim on my taxes. You know, and so again, not suggesting that you do this. This is just stories that I have always found intriguing. And so from that, you know, obviously Bob Havens didn't go out and cheat the government out of money. That's not what I'm saying. But, you know, really what he was talking about is frugality, you know, and not wasting money and not just, you know, because I've got a lot of money coming in doesn't mean I'm making a lot of money. And so Bob did this for numerous years, and he ended up being very, very successful and sent both of his boys to private military school and, uh, you know, had a very successful business for a number of years. And then one day decided it was time to retire and retired and went and lived on a boat and was absolutely satisfied working for this 25-year-old kid running this multi-million dollar series of stores. And he would come to me with advice, and I would listen to him, and, you know, I would... It was always intriguing to me because I was constantly given the benefit of being surrounded by these gentlemen that had this worldly knowledge that only a fraction of which had ever I had ever experienced. But for the ability to have that knowledge imparted on me for such a low cost of friendship was the only cost of getting this information. It really, really impacted my life. And I think if I was going to narrow down the thing that I learned the most from Bob, it would have to be finding a happy medium. You know, people say never settle, which I agree with um, to an extent. And they say, you know, I live on the premise of happy but never satisfied. But I also think that it's equally important that you have to find a happy medium. You know, you ask a 17-year-old who they want to be and they don't know. You ask a 25-year-old who they're going to be, they're probably going to tell you they're going to be the person that they are right now. You ask a 40-year-old who they should have been, and they probably have a very different idea than the person that was 25. So I think at some point you have to become happy with where you are. It doesn't mean that you become complacent, and it doesn't mean that you accept it. But I think that you have to remain happy because it's going to help to propel you to the next level. You know, the last one I want to share is a gentleman that I, I don't even remember his last name. And he worked for me for, for a while. His name was Don. And the guy was an absolute cad. Um, he, and I'm not being disrespectful. He was a little bit of a, a man whore. Um, and he was 67. But he had a great time. He was actually worked for and helped to launch the company that originally put out the zip tie. You know, and so he sold zip guns, these little zip tie guns that you would, 
And they, at that time, you weren't picking these up at your local hardware store. It was used for, you know, major manufacturing facilities and such. And, you know, Don always had a good story, always had a good Pollock joke or an Aggie joke or, you know, one of those things. But he didn't have a lot, but he was just always happy. And I think that's the thing that I learned from him is that it didn't matter where he was at in life. He was always happy. The next gentleman that I want to talk about that worked for me is a guy that I will never, ever forget. And his name was Klaus. And he shared with me one of the most prophetic stories that I have probably heard in my life. And that was, at the time I was working with him, this is probably, oh, let's see, this is 2000, that's probably 1999. And uh, he was our electronics expert at the company that I was uh, managing. And we were talking one day about different technologies, and he knew everything there was to know about radars and sounding systems and VHF radio and everything else. And I started talking with him and trying to learn more about him. And we had known each other for a couple of years at this point. And one day we were talking, and he was giving me some backstory. And he actually grew up in Germany, and he lived on a the side of this small mountain, and there was a vineyard below him where this little... Oh, just a little town, you know, probably 10 or 15 uh, little shops and just a few outskirts, you know, specklings of houses. And anyways, and so he shared a story and he basically he said, you know, he grew up in Nazi Germany. And he said, you know, Jason, he said, I remember being eight years old and standing in the window of my home, which was right off of the. I call it a main street, but it was probably a, a dirt pathway or a cobblestone road. He said, and the SS and the Nazi army was coming through in parade fashion, watching, you know, marching through our town. And this is probably 1938, 39. He said, and I remember looking at all these gentlemen walking past with their beautiful uniforms and just spot on marching and thinking how fortunate I am and how blessed I am to live in the country where we're the good guys. And that was probably one of the greatest lessons of perspective that I have ever learned. Because a few short months later, his uncle, who was an engineer, who had decided he was not going to go work with the Nazi party, because at that time, if you were an engineer in Germany, you were automatically, you were, you were part of the machine. And they came to him and said, you know, hey, it's, it's your turn. You got to come in. And he refused to do it. And so they ended up having to take him and hide him in a barn under the floorboards for I forget how long. And that changed his perspective. You know, and the thing that I learned again from that is we have to have a current perspective. You have to have a perspective of what you thought things were and what you think they're going to be. But in order to have a true understanding of what's going on around us, you really have to be able to lock into your personal beliefs, but be open to the suggestions and ideas of others. And the last story that I'll share with you is, uh, let me give one second here. I had notes. I knew this guy growing up that uh, had a really great job and uh, got to travel a lot and had lived a very, very interesting life. He had, you know, gone through the military. He had jumped out of planes. He had ridden bulls. He had uh, ridden motorcycles. He shot guns. Uh, he fought. 
he did all these really cool things and then he grew up and uh, got a job as an airline pilot after he got out of the military and he was gone all the time uh, you know he three home four gone and you know trying to provide for his family and then you know we uh, at that time I lived in Amarillo and he would come into Amarillo and then he would be gone and then he lived in California and then he lived in Florida and then he lived in Chicago and then he lived in New York and then he lived in Dallas and then he lived in Houston. You know, and if you hadn't figured this out already, you know, this is, I'm actually speaking of my father and uh, he lived incredibly interesting life. I say lived, sorry, dad, you're still alive. He has lived an incredibly interesting life and had all these stories and it was incredibly daunting to grow up under because you know we all look at our fathers you know if we're fortunate enough to have been raised and grown up with them as this figure as a man of kind of okay that's the litmus test right that's where I need to be that's what I've got to do and growing up in the 80s it was kind of hard to go back and relive all the things that he had done you know I hadn't jumped out of airplanes you know I've ridden steer and I've ridden bronx and I've ridden motorcycles and shotguns and all that stuff but you know uh, he's crashed helicopters and rolled down the sides of mountains and, you know, a Chinook helicopter. And, uh, you know, there's just a, a million different stories. But a thing that has always stuck with me the most is his ability to provide. And, you know, when we were living here in Houston and he was living in Dallas and he would fly back and forth and drive back and forth. And then when he got on with American Airlines, he couldn't he didn't have the seniority to be in Dallas. So he had to go live in Los Angeles. And he would fly back and forth and get home as many days as he could, which was not very often. And then his seniority went up a little bit, so he got to go to Chicago. And then, you know, he had lived, and I'm talking, this is a professional airline pilot, right? I mean, these guys are making great money, and they're, you know, very well thought of and moving thousands and thousands of people per day around the country. And then he would go back to Chicago in his little captain's crash pad where him and a bunch of other people that were also pilots all co-rented an apartment it's just whoever was in town went there and crashed and mattresses on the floor and you know ramen noodles in the refrigerator and then finally got a little bit better position and he got transferred to uh, be based out of New York and he rented this little bitty apartment from these uh, the, I can think it was a retired couple I know he said it was just an older husband and wife and they had a cat and it was like this little basement room that he rented you know and at this point I'm 16 17 years old and you know we're back home and we're running and gunning and we've got nice vehicles and got a great house and you know my dad is still flying all over the country and staying in these little rat hole hotels and you know sleeping on the floor and he's he's fought and he's done all of these things and he's rode bulls and motorcycles and shot people and shot not people shot you know guns and he's just this guy's guy and then goes and sleeps on an air mattress on the floor in the bottom of this little apartment in New York because that's what he had to do to provide for his family. So a few more years go by and he finally makes captain and he gets back to Dallas and you know things are going really, really well. And uh, really well into the fact of you know they're finally living the life that they promised themselves that they would live. By this time, I'm gone. Uh, my sister and brother have all moved out and uh, he finally makes check airman. And if you don't know what a check airman is, you know, that's you go from engineer to co-pilot to pilot, you know, to captain to uh, engine uh, to check airman. And a check airman is the guy that goes on the annual uh, checks 
and make sure that you still know how to fly a plane and that you get to keep your license. And so they're the ones that regulate and make sure that everybody else is doing what they're supposed to do. And he was making really, really good money. And then uh, then 9-11 happened. And when 9-11 happened, it really, really messed up the airline industry uh, to the point that, you know, obviously a lot of people didn't want to fly. Uh, you know, a captain who was flying this plane couldn't bring nail clippers on a plane because, you know, terrorist threats and everything else. And so he had an opportunity once again to take one for the team and go out and continue to be gone all the time. But at this point, you know, kids were raised and it was him and my mom. And he decided, you know what, I think it's, I think it's time to, to be home. And so that's when he took early retirement. And uh, that's when they opened their martial arts school, which is when I got my opportunity to finally move into entrepreneurship after years of working for large big box companies. And he called me one day and my dad had really, other than the normal stuff, had never really asked me for anything ever. And I'll never forget this phone call because I was with this big company and there was some things that were going on within the company that I really didn't like. And I had been gotten a bunch of promotions and done really, really well and was a superstar for a bunch of years. And then all of a sudden the company was getting sold and that's all this work I had put in was changing. And we're kind of in all the middle of this, which was a, a perfect storm of problems. My dad called me and said, uh, I'm retiring from American Airlines. I'm gonna go open a martial arts school. And I've, I know martial arts and you know business. If you ever planned on moving home, do it now. And so I thought about it and got off the phone with him and talked to my wife and she, Shelly, to her credit, did the same thing she always does. She said, you know what to do. You know you need to provide for the family. Do what you got to do, and we'll be there to support you. So that's when we moved back to Houston in 2003, opened our martial arts school. And, you know, I have not taken a check from a corporation since late 2002. Actually, I think it was January 2003. But, you know, it was on my heart and on my head with what we've been talking about on the podcast and with, you know, the growth of our business and, you know, reflecting because I like to reflect a lot because, you know, you can't figure out where you're going unless you know where you've been. And I wanted to share these stories really to bring to light that, you know, if you're listening to this and you're successful, you know, take a moment to think about the different individuals that have impacted you. You know, whose shoulders are you standing on? And more importantly, once you've recognized whose shoulders you're standing on to see further, who are you allowing to stand on your shoulders? What impact are you having on those around you? And what impact, who's going to tell this story of you 10 years from now or 20 years from now? You know, these gentlemen that I'm naming off will never hear this, and most of them probably are not alive at this point. But they had enough impact on me that I still reflect back on those times and those stories and those lessons. And it allows me to question who's standing on my shoulder you know and I hope all of my children are obviously and I always want my wife to be you know but my team uh, the people that I'm in business with the people that I encounter on a daily basis am I impacting them in a way that I will leave some small piece of knowledge or experience with them and am I allowing my foundation to be strong enough that I can support someone on my shoulders to allow them to see further than me. And I think that's important. And I think we need more of that in today's society. But that's all I got for today. I hope everybody has a fantastic week. 
and we'll be dropping another episode next Thursday. Make sure you tune back in. It was short and sweet today. You guys have a great week.